Good morning. I hope that you've had a good week. Um, can I just throw out, how many of you are okay if the preacher didn't have the best week in his life? Didn't have the best, if I'm honest, just be honest, just be honest. It does help to come in and see lives displayed, uh, change displayed in someone's life of baptism. So that is amazing, it's a good, but uh, I have been wrestling, and I'll just admit to you, I've been wrestling with this text, and I kept trying to give this away to someone else to teach, but I'm going to, I'm just, when you got to own it, you got to own it, and I am not a master in this. Today, I've titled today's sermon, Because the Lord is Near, Because the Lord is Near. In fact, it's going to be what shows up in our text, and there are only two points that you're going to hear today, that we are in the Lord because of what He did on the cross. Those who have trusted that are in the Lord like we watched in baptism, and that the Lord is near. I'm going to take those, I'm going to pack those as we go. Uh, before we do, though, I just want to let you know that we're talking, and, and this is where I'm not a master. Um, we're talking about dispute today, okay? As we go further into chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul is calling out a dispute that has become a problem for the church at Philippi. And uh, while our faith is uh, personal, it is not private, we saw that today in baptism. And it is oftentimes when we are in spiritual community with one another, biblical community is often public. And so when, just generally speaking, um, I, I can be a contentious person at times. And when I contend with you on something, um, I pretty much, just generally speaking, would like to, for you to know that I'm right. And um, even more so, uh, would love for you to acknowledge it. But I, I, I'm not a, really an artist. I was praying unto the Lord, like, how can I best display what's going on in this text? And so I'm no artist, so we're going to have a little segment that I call Fun with Justin and Stick Figures right now. <laughs> as I try to show you a little bit what might be happening in this text. Okay, so as you can see... We have some houses and one house specifically. Can everyone see this okay? All right, one house specifically. And that house specifically is on fire. And that house being on fire, there's some people in the house right here. There's, there's a person right there and there's another one right there. There's some people from these houses have kind of seen the fire happen and they're, they're kind of concerned about their house catching fire. And so they're coming to witness this scenario, the situation, and they're hoping for our fire department, you know, to show up and put the fire out, like that's their job. And so we're hopeful that the fire department comes and does the job. And so these people are anticipating it. These houses are watching it. You and I are witnessing it. And these, house, these people inside here are really hoping they do their job. And, and what you don't know, what this story doesn't tell you this picture is that back at the firehouse these two guys specifically right here these two firefighters they they have the same job but they kind of got into it they've been talking about um, how one believes that sand is the best method to put out fires and the other believes that water is the best method to put out Fires. And so he shows up with his sandbag right here, and this guy shows up with his hose right here, and, and they get to 
the sight of a fire and they immediately with everyone watching and anticipating continue their conversation they're continuing their contention about which is going to put the fire out better and they continue to contend about which method is going to best put the fire out in the meantime there's something that's painstakingly obvious to these people here and these people here and you and I, what is painstakingly obvious? The house is on fire. It is ablaze and it's going down. And the fire might just spread unless these two can come to a place where they put it aside and put out the fire. Like I said earlier, that our faith is personal, but it is not private. And in our passage today, what we're going to find, what he's going to point out, is that oftentimes our faith can even be public. Paul calls on a trusted and a trustworthy individual, a brother, in this church at Philippi to help with, with a problem that has arisen. It's a disruptive dispute between uh, two women in the body of Philippi. And they're great women. But he's asked him to step in and to, you know, mediate. Get these guys on the same page and ask them to put it aside so that we can move forward in making disciples. Okay? So, we're going to look at the text right now. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read it. And I want to enter this text with this amazing artistic image in mind and the painstakingly obvious lesson that comes from said image chapter 4 verse 2 of Philippians it says I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord yes and I ask you my true companion your version may say yoke fellow help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Father, I just ask that as we look at your text, you teach us. I, te I pray that your spirit would teach us and it would open our minds and hearts to what you have for us and give us an ability and a desire to put aside those things that keep us at bay with you, maybe with others, and keep the fire from being put out. Help us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, again, I said you have two points. I want to start with the first one and start to unpack it if it's okay. The first point is that we are in the Lord. Those who have trusted on the name of Jesus and what he did in his substitutionary sacrifice for us on the cross, that we knew that we were sinners who were worshiping ourselves and were selfish. He took the selfless act of taking him, our sin upon himself, paying for it on the cross, so that we might be forgiven and have life. That we might be called no longer child of wrath, but child of God. So those who are in the church of Jesus, because you've trusted in that, we saw evidence of that today publicly. 
You are in the Lord. And he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. Now, he says to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here's one thing that's missing from this passage. We don't know what the nature of their contention was. We have no idea what their issue with one another was. It's not mentioned here. If it were mentioned, it would be important. Paul leaves it out intentionally. Why? Because the nature of the, the battle, the nature of the argument is not important. He leaves it out intentionally. Now, if your name is Syntyche, that could be the point of the contention. I don't even know if I'm saying that right because honestly, in the original language, there's not a whole lot of commentary that helps you know how to pronounce syntyche, syntiki, syntich, whatever. Here's the thing. She might be mad because she, like most of our parents today who just spell kids' names weird, her, she's like, my name's Michelle. Why does everyone keep calling me syntiki? Yodia, you're the worst. You know, who knows what it is. The, the point is... We don't know what the contention is. We just know the remedy. And he says, you're in the Lord. Unlike, unlike some people have had a tendency to teach, I'm, I'm not going to say that these women are bad. In fact, Paul admonishes them. He says, yes, I ask you, my true companion, because these women, since they've contended at my side for the sake of the gospel... Paul calls out this dispute between two noble and God-fearing women who have been champions for the gospel, yet have found an issue on which they cannot agree. And it's become such an issue that everyone else in the church is now coming aware, becoming aware of it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Ever had this happen? Never? Okay. So, it happened in Philippi. So these are not bad women. They're not gossiping. They're not spreading drama. They're not spreading evil. Paul calls this out publicly because they've made it public. They've made it public, and no matter what side of said issue that we don't know, they sit on, they've started to make it public to where it's disrupting the unity of the body, and it's starting to divide it. So Paul has to call it out publicly because they've made it public, and he doesn't want to see this church that he loves, that he's admonishing through most of this letter, through most of our time together. He doesn't want to see it divided. Now, the, the setup for this is you need to recognize this church is reading a letter that is circulating through the houses of Philippi. Those who are in the church, this, this letter's circulating. So can you imagine being uh, the one here who is suzokos, is the word, it's best translated, true companion, but I like the word yoke fellow because I like what it says there. Some of your verses may say that. This guy, yoke fellow, sitting at home and the letter comes to his house and he's reading it. Okay? He's reading this this letter, and it's, it's like Paul, Paul goes, okay, I plead with you, Odia, and with you, Syntyche, like, put it aside, be the same mind. Can you imagine being in the one, being this guy who's aware publicly in the church of the dispute that's evident? He's probably reading this with some kind of sigh of relief, like, yes, them girls is crazy. Thank you, Paul, for calling that out. Let's put that, let's stop it. It's enough. And then you read a sentence further, and you go, and I'm calling on you. And he's like, wait a second. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, yoke fellow, get in there and get you some. You got to get between these girls and bring them together. I can see 
where he might have a problem with this. How many of you have ever tried to get in the middle of a cat fight and fix that? Lucky guy. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> I, can, I can just, in my mind, see this guy reading this letter, and he's like, yes, thank you. Old crazy eyes and crazy legs need to stop it. And we need you to get in there. I need you to get in there, get you. How many of you want to be the person that he calls out to be the one to help settle said dispute? You have nothing to do with it. It's just been made public and it's disrupting everything else. So he sends you as a yoke fellow, a true companion, one that is trusted and trustworthy. The yoke fellow, this picture, the reason I love that word here is that when you were to yoke two oxen, that meant you like literally brought them alongside each other the yoke being custom fit for both of which and they can together move forward accomplishing more than they could even separately. They could do two and three times the work together than they could separate. So I love that. So he looks at him and says, I need you to get in there because I trust you and you're trustworthy. You need to help these women understand one point. They are in the Lord. And whatever it is, I'm not asking you for to pull them aside. I don't need them to each have so many minutes to share their point, take a few minutes to seek, to convince the other of their opinion. I don't need you to try to have them come in and justify their opinion. I don't need you to try to get in there and help them mediate so they can convince one another. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in there, drop the truth like you're dropping the mic and say you are in the Lord. It doesn't matter. You contend for the very gospel that freed you both. So your methods, drop them. The house is on fire. Just put it aside. It doesn't matter the method. The first one to drop wins. He's to remind these women that they're in the Lord and that they're to be of the same mind. In this picture, how can we be of the same mind? Is it water? Is it sand? Much like Paul wrote earlier, doesn't matter. Hello? Doesn't matter. What is the problem? We're on fire. What's the firefighter supposed to do? Put the fire out. So he said, doesn't matter. You may have a great argument for your method. You may have studied it. You've sat on it. You've thought on it. You may have a great argument and justification for why we should do it your way. But the point is, that's not the point. The point is the fire needs to be put out. And so I need you to get in there and help them. Christ died not that they'd continue in this feud in their selfish debate, but they'd, they'd be one. This is our call as his church. This is our call as his family is to be one, to seek unity. John 13, 35 says it like this. I'm going to have it on the screen. That by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That this is, this is how he's going to let them know that you're in the Lord is by your love for one another. The way you sacrificially and selflessly seek the needs of those around you more than you fight for your own. John 17 goes a step further. And I love what he says here. John 17 verse 21. That all of them may be one. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Father, just as you and I are, you are in me and I am in you, may they... My disciples, 
also be in us so that, listen to this, here's the why, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I need you to write this down. The Father's strategy to evangelize the world was the church's unity. Simple enough. It's not the size of your building. It's not the size of your budget. It's not the size of your ego or your strategies. It's not sand. It's not water. The Father in heaven had a strategy to reach the world. His strategy to evangelize the world unto himself was the church's unity. John 17, 21. So, these guys, as they're debating, debating it out, we can see a fundamental problem is not being fixed. I want this house that's on fire to represent the world. And everyone in it who's not in the Lord, that you know that's in your life, how often do they see you contend for your point? How often do they see you contend for a point, any point? Or how often do they see you drop the bag of sand? How often do they see us drop the hose? And just get in there and put the fire out. In love and in selflessness. How often do they witness that in my life and in yours? And here's the thing. i got to tell you, I'm not a master at this. Generally speaking, when I have an opinion, I'd like for you to acknowledge that I'm right. And I'd like for you to share it with the world. But the truth is... Paul is saying to me and to you, my friends, it does not matter. The fire is taking the house down and it's about to spread. The house is on fire. So then he kind of shifts a point here and he says something in verse 4 that I just think is fascinating. Okay, Here it is in verse 4. After giving all that away and saying, here's why I need you to fight for these girls. These are good girls. They're going to be great for the gospel. They can advance the kingdom. Get in there. Help them work it out. Help them drop that. Remind them of the truth they're in the Lord. Let them go, oh, yeah, that's right. We need to be in the Lord. Let's work together. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, anytime you hear something repeated twice, that's with emphasis. It's with emphasis. And he goes on and says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near in verse 5. Let me ask you this. I read this and there's like that old tune that we learned in preschool, right? You remember? Right? Like to me in my mind, it's just like the little like munchkins from the Wizard of Oz are singing it, you know? Anyway, sorry. But here's the thing. That, that could ruin this whole thing for me. I don't want it to be ruined, so here it is. How often do we rejoice in the Lord? How often? How, how often do we rejoice in the, the, we're in the Lord? That's why we can't have a, a fight or a position. We can't fight water. We can't fight sand. The house is on fire. How often do we rejoice in the Lord? When you're right, when others acknowledge it, when you're grateful they acknowledge it, rejoice in the Lord every time, every time. And not just once, he says it twice, so that we recognize you are in the Lord. There's nothing to fight about. The house is on fire and you're outside of it. 
You've been saved from it already. Rejoice in the fact the Lord came and pulled you out. You're not on fire. You're not going down. You're not going to pay for it. So rejoice in everything, every time, always. And, you know, and here's the thing. Just before, because I did this with myself, just before you in your mind go, but Justin, you don't know what it's like out here. Life's hard. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I mean, not in every single thing, every single time. I mean, whoever, who wrote this? This guy probably had no idea what the world's like. I don't even know if I can trust this author. Who would write, rejoice in everything always because the world is tough and circumstances don't always work out the way that I'd want them to? Well, then, then the reader in Philippi remembers who wrote this letter. We need to remember who wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter. Saul of Tarsus, who had achieved everything the world can offer, status, riches, fame, fortune. He had had aspired as high as you could go in Judaism, called the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And it says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. This is after deciding to follow Jesus. Like, it could be fair for him to say, this is what Jesus got me. I had it all. This is what following Jesus got me. Beaten with rods, I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move, and I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from the countrymen, in danger from the city, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from false brothers. I have labored, I have toiled, and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger, and I've known thirst, and often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily, listen to this, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. After this litany of things that I just shared with you, after all that stuff, here's the thing that bothers me the most. This is what concerns me the most. I face daily the pressure and concern for all the churches. Right there. That's what breaks his heart. That's what he's saying. I have been beaten, left for dead. I've been flogged. I've been stoned. I've been bitten by a snake when I was trying to get wood. I was left in the water to float ashore with some stupid, like, guys I said, don't go this way, and they didn't listen. And then I got bit by a snake trying to get firewood for them just to help them stay warm. And that's what it got me. But here's the thing. Beyond all of that, here's my biggest problem. We're still arguing over sand and water. Beyond all that stuff, the house is on fire. That's my problem. It's my biggest issue. And he says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice in everything. May your gentleness be known to others. Why? Because of this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Time's short. We don't have a lot of time. The point here is the motivation for ending any temporal or earthly dispute because time is short. 
You see, Paul can write these words and he can say, Sintikiyoda, you put it aside. Hey, yoke fellow, get in there, get you some, help put that away. Why? Because the house is on fire. And he has the ability to say all these things. And he can say, rejoice in everything. Why? Because he'd been through a lot. More than anyone else in this room can add as our list. And we can say as our resume. So he had the clout. He had the rep. It preceded him. And he said, look, here's why you need to put it aside. My, the thing that breaks my heart is that we can't stop fighting, and the Lord is near, and he's coming. And when he comes, every new bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is the Lord. When he comes, too late. The Lord is near. He's present right now in these people who have the Spirit in them. I don't know why they're not listening more to that than they are to their own flesh, but they need to put it aside. That's why I need you to get in there, yoke fellow. I need you to get in, tell them the truth, let that convict them so they can get back on track. But we've got to be able to do this thing because the Lord is near. We must be intentional. And here's another point. It's incredibly hard to worship the Lord purely when you're disputing with your brother. It's incredibly difficult to worship the Lord purely when you're disputing with, all, with, with those around you, your brother or your sister. He says, let your gentleness be known to some. Those that look like you, sound like you. Those that like your method, be cool with them. It's good. He says, no, show your gentleness to who? Just like rejoice, who? All. He doesn't make any distinction. It's with every one of them. Every time, rejoice. With who? Everyone, be gentle. Matthew 5, 21, 24 reads like this. I want to flip there if it's okay. He says, You have heard it said that to the people long ago do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Say it again. Murder, we all get, right? Everyone say yes. Like, this means yes. Okay? But I tell you, anyone who's anger with his brother to the point where, like, they won't let it go is subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka. Raka is a great word. I'm going to get there in a second. Let me just read on is answerable to the Sanhedrin, the highest, the highest of the Supreme Court. And he says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. You're in danger, you fool. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer said gift. So he says, look, it's such a big deal. Like Eudodia, Sintiki, it's such a big deal. Like don't even offer something to the Lord when you have something in your heart that's harbored against another. Go get that right and then come back. Because when you harbor that against you, you will be judged at the highest level for that. It's a problem. That's an issue that is not okay. He says, when you say raka, like when you say no, like death, like I won't have it. 
to the point where like, you're wrong and I won't listen any further. <laughs> how many of you, like, how many of you have ever had an enemy? Just raise your hand. Okay, understand what I'm talking about when I say that. When you say raka, in the, in the Hebrew, what that means, in their, in their world, I'd rather you be dead. When you say, you're here and I can clearly see you. And here I sit with the answer. I'd rather you be dead. This, this is like not even saying like, hey, my method's better. This is, you're not one of, I'm here, you're here. And you say to a brother, I'm done. I'd rather you be dead. Second, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. Let me just read from this because I, I feel like, how many of you just recognize sometimes it doesn't take the opinion of the preacher, it doesn't take what he's saying, it doesn't, say, it doesn't take how slick it is or how nice the presentation is. Sometimes you just need the word. Sometimes you just need to see what the scripture says about this issue. Here it is. It says, Second Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. That we are Christ's ambassadors. Um, it is incredibly difficult to look at other people through the eyes of the cross, recognizing what you did to put him there and to think of them beneath you. That's what Raka means. To think of someone so beneath you, you'd rather them be dead. Hello? How many of you have ever walked in a room and go, I'm clearly the smartest person in here? You know how that feels? Okay, all right. And for those of you who didn't admit it, you have. <laughs> the point being this. When we, when we do not examine the world and the obvious contention here, the obvious problem is the house is on fire. And we don't look at people in our lives despite how dumb they are. Let me agree with you. When we look at them as beneath us, and we say, we'd rather you be dead, we are not looking at them through the fact that we deserve to be dead. That we were once here in the house, and that's where we should be. But he loved us enough to bust us out, and we 
just go, you know what? That's good enough for me. I actually have a beautiful method for putting out fires. It's amazing. You ought to hear it. Let me take time to convince you. God goes, no, I already gave a strategy. It's actually the unity of, of my church is how I'll reveal my son to the world who can free people from the fire. But the longer you look at people and you go, they're beneath me. They're not, they're not where I am. They're not good enough. I'd rather them be dead. I, I don't care enough about them. I don't love them. He goes, you bring judgment upon yourself. Were you, did he actually do anything in you to change you? Because your old life would say that. Your old life would do that. Your old li- How many of you in, in your old life... You, don't, have to make, don't worry about it in the new life. How many of you in the old life had to win arguments, had to win? Not now, but then, back, way back, you know. He goes, put it aside. It doesn't matter. Jesus loved you enough to put his throne aside. I think you can love the neighbor who just grates you, that coworker, classmate who just gets under your skin. I think you can put your issue aside, and no matter how right you may be, the house is on fire. So here's the question. With whom are you contentious? With whom do you have contentions? Let me ask you another question. Will you contend with the Lord in His clear instruction for each of us because you're unwilling to be of the same mind with his own servants. Maybe, maybe your contention's with the Lord himself. Well, I'll serve him as soon as he hooks me up, and I'll serve him as soon as he starts to, like, you know, recognize and let others recognize how awesome I am. Or maybe your contention with him is because he keeps asking you to do hard stuff. Let me be clear, folks. This isn't easy, and he didn't single you out. He's asked us all to do it. In fact, he wants the world to know that he sent his son, and this is how he plans to do it, is through our unity and our ability to put things aside. So here it is today. Here's the challenge. Can you put it aside? As you come to a time of response, and you come to a time where we're going to walk out here and go seek to live as Christ and reveal him to the world can you put aside even your own pride right now? Your own, like, I don't want to see people see me at the altar. Look, here's the thing. You got to come and deal with what God is doing within you, and then you got to deal with what God may be doing with you and a brother. Maybe you've had your fist up, and you've been stiff-arming a brother or sister, and you need to go to them humbly and ask, forgive me, I'm sorry, because you are not... I'm not shouting rock at you. I'm not putting you beneath it. You are important. You're valuable. You're a gift to the world. And God loved you and created you in his image so that you'd reflect that. Let me love you humbly because he loved me humbly. Let's put it aside and pursue the kingdom together. Because why? Because the Lord is near. And right now this morning, he may be right here pursuing you. He may be very near. Your heart may be stirring, may be wrestling. You maybe know someone you need to talk to, or maybe you're here and you go, I'm not in the Lord. But I find myself here. And the only way that I'm going to be freed is if someone loves me enough to share Jesus so I can be saved as well. If that's you, I'm ready to share Jesus with you. 
There are others who are ready to share Jesus with you. Your prayer partners will be here. Scott is here. Let us help. We're not here to fight about sand or water. We're here because the house is on fire. So, Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you love us. And may we be humble enough, Jesus, to put our contentions aside because you put the thing that contended with eternity in our lives aside. You took on our contentious and our selfish nature and our ugliness. You took it on yourself and the punishment that we deserve because of it so we can be free. Father, will you move in this room right now by the power of your spirit in a powerful way? Move on our hearts individually. Move on us corporately. The house is on fire, God. Show us in Jesus' name how we're to help put it out.